I'm, I'm not leaving the uh, the conversation. I'm just going to get my power supply because we, we, we this could take time. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to The Film File, the film show for film geeks, by film geeks. And here we are with episode 15. Due to the magic of technology, and I use that word very, very lightly, we are doing this remotely. So guys, are we all keeping our social distancing in place? I was keeping it in place for years before now. (laughs) So nothing new for you there, Scott? Only now it's being medically advised. So how how are we all coping? bizarrely not as good as I thought I would do. You'd think that after years of sat at home playing video games, watching movies, that this would be a doddle. But it's surprising how much I miss going to work, going outside, socialising with people. I'm, I maybe not aren't as much of a geek as I thought again. Yeah, I'm saying I feel like I've, I've done nothing but amass a, a geeky entertainment library over my 33 years and then suddenly I'm staring at everything bored. It, it is it's strange, isn't it? Because you've got all that resource at hand. I've got so many movies, uh, uh, physical copies as well as, you know, being able to watch everything uh, online and still going, mm, don't know what I want to watch tonight. I wonder if there's anything out there. And, and my original plan was, let me go through my Blu-ray library of everything that I've not seen. <laughs> I've still not touched that yet. Well, I'm still working through the um, Andy Hasn't Seen list, uh, but we'll get around to a bit of that later on. So at this point in the programme, we always pass over to Andy to to tell us what's hot and what's going on in the world. And of course, we're all in the same boat together. Is there any news out there, Andy, that you can share with us? Well, let's start off with the Corona Roundup. Uh, For all the regular listeners, if you're hearing some slight difference on the audio today, it's because we are all sat in our own living rooms, kitchens, bedrooms, whatever, chatting online. We can't see each other because we're not doing it on video chat, we're doing it on audio chat. So it's a bit of a weird situation, this. And the whole world is in a weird weird situation at the moment. Uh, Right after recording last time, when we were talking about cinemas shutting around the world, more cinemas have shut, including the one that me and Scott work at. And the country's been put into a self-distancing lockdown, which is why we're sat where we are. Uh, I did mention last time around about Cineworld like, as a big market leader suffering a lot. They've recovered some of their share price, which is quite nice to see. It's only up to about 50 to 60 pence at the moment, but it's a lot better than the just below 20 pence that they managed to drop to. Because in the last the last show, we actually were recording as news was coming through about, about cinemas. Um, you weren't sure whether at that point whether you were going to shut um and we were getting news literally as we were recording including the fact that that black widow as soon as we'd finished recording came up that that black widow had, had been changed its, uh, its, its release date and and that came through so i mean, I mean ad- clearly additional the- release date changes top gun um production post-production on that has been hit by the virus so that's been pushed back wonder woman has moved to later in the year i think it's safe to say that for the foreseeable future for the foreseeable next few years, everything's going to be shunted. Which is uh, which is understandable. Um, the, the virus is almost dictating timelines as opposed to anything else. So we don't know what's going to happen, where and when. Uh, I think it's almost now safe to say, let's not think about a new movie until August. That doesn't mean that we're not going to get anything via streaming, though, does it? No, I think it, a lot more is coming out to streaming. We, we reported last time about Invisible Man and a few of the others, The Hunt, we're coming across there's literally every distributor is now looking towards bringing things to the streaming market for quite a decent price 
there's been a lot of people moaning online that like i'm not paying 20 pounds to watch something at home uh who are kind of missing the point it's like you're paying 20 pounds for your whole household to sit and watch it if you went to the cinema you'd be paying more than that for your whole household to go watch something so it's it's come across my knowledge uh bad boys bad boys for life is getting an early release yeah, and that's that's due to hit at the end of March. So literally, it's on our doorstep now. Almost a full month before the Blu-ray release is due out. And of course, I think we're going to get more of that, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, it's going to coincide with other big titles that will get the early releases due to the wake of the coronavirus. Uh, Jason Bloom from Bloomhouse has weighed in as how they, how he sees that this is going to impact on the future of cinema. Because obviously, the concern from the cinema outside of it, and I'm sure Scott agrees with me, with me here, is when we go back to work eventually, there's not going to be a lot of new releases. And with things going to streaming quite early, is it going to become more of a trend that things go to streaming early? Well, um, to quote, uh, I think it's not realistic to think all the studios are going to wait four months before they put a movie at home. They just can't compete. They're going to have to compete with Amazon and Netflix and Apple in a different way. There's going to be shifts. The consumer is going to be more used to staying at home. Something is going to give. There has to be something that's going to happen post-corona. The movie business will look different after the coronavirus. I don't think theatres are ever going to go away. The collective experience of going to a theatre and taking in a movie, I think that's going to be around for a long time. I think there'll be less movies in theatres. There'll be less of a selection, or I should say, there'll be many, many fewer movies in theatres with the window. And I think that there'll be many, many more movies in theatres, but they'll only last for a week or two. It's it's an extension of what's been happening in various other media for years, isn't it? Like the diversification of everything into more niche markets so cinema is almost one of the last bastions isn't it of like a mass market thing if it if it becomes that specific cinemas cater to specific audiences with specific products i think that might be where we're heading it's interesting though but when this is all done do we not think that it's going to be a great release because and we we've said it at the beginning of the program that you know we're all bored of, of being in and we've all got got uh plenty of entertainment to, to watch if we want to but being able to get out I, I've got a feeling there'll be a great stream of people going you know what I, I want to go and share with with other people I want to be out of, of my own house I love watching things when I, I'm uh, they're on demand but there's something about that cinema experience uh, that that community experience that you get in no other way and I think theatres and and uh, concerts are all going to be the same I think there's going to be an opportunity for people to go Blimey, I'm out of the house. Entertain me. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's the hope. And, you know, th- there are, same with pubs and bars, is because they've been forced to shut. Like, people are saying that you should make sure that when they reopen again, you support your favourite places. You go back, you give them the custom. You don't make, I mean, last thing that me and Scott want to do is, like, when we return to work, we look around as, a, like, a desert, tumbleweeds drifting past it's a worrying time when working within this industry. The Chinese market is probably a good sign as to see what's going to happen because they've just started opening their cinemas again. And in order to entice audiences back, they're bringing a slew of older films like Avatar, the Avengers films, uh, Christopher Nolan films, because there's no new releases for a good few months. But if people flock to go and just see anything, then it shows good signs that people just want that social experience. It's tough, isn't it? Because I can, I can literally see it going either way. I can, I can imagine everyone's been slightly traumatised by this world-changing experience and being a bit trepidant to go out there, and obviously there's no new product. But I can also see, why me? I can finally leave the house. I miss 
yeah. film in the purest sense. What is it? I'll watch it. What is it? Hit me. Like, yeah, I think I think we're 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 in unknown territory clearly, and I think the opportunity for cinemas to to suddenly do and I hate to sound like the Dunkirk spirit. But to do what what they they did in the war, which was uh, uh, not that I remember the war. I'm not Steve Rogers, <laughs> uh, but to be able to to become a place of that's a communal experience and for people to enjoy being in that communal experience. I, for one, uh, would like that opportunity to to just sit with with other people other than my family. And nothing wrong with my family, of course, because they'll be listening to this. And I didn't choose Plan B. <laughs> But I think the need to be around other people is, is we are social animals. And I think as a great social experiment, as, a, as an, a positive way of looking at this, is that I think we need each other. And I think we need to share the experience of laughter and, and joy. And, you know, we always said many, many times that, that seeing a comedy and a horror movie works best when you see it with an audience. And I think that's going to be the thing that people suddenly realize that they're lacking in their lives. Having to rely on Facebook and having to rely on streaming isn't enough of a isn't enough of a balance to, to say something about who we are. Yeah, yeah, it could it could really get a boost because it, it like with all, all the other social factors that we're, we're we're deprived of currently, it reminds you why you do it, why you like it, and why it should be appreciated. So I won't be surprised if it's weirdly a good thing for the cinema industry. But at the same token, I think the world. There's no going back now, and, and things evolve, and it should evolve. So it's going to be interesting. On the last bit of um, directly related uh, coronavirus news to do with film, the Cannes Film Festival has been postponed indefinitely and may un- end up completely cancelled this year. I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised by that at all. I, I, I think things like that are not coming as a shock anymore, as opposed to just a few short weeks ago when we were looking at things and going, Oh my goodness! You know this is shutting. This is shutting production. These events are over. Hearing that the Cannes Film Festival is 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 to close for a year now doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? The the aspect which is a bit of a big deal with regards to Cannes is that it is kind of like a ten pole for the industry, and it's usually a good nod towards what films are going to be in the awards over the next couple of years, and it's a good forum for fresh filmmakers to get distributors to pick up their projects so without that there might be a little waning in the more quality product i mean i'm not dissing like top gun coming out in a couple of months because you know hey it's top gun i'm going to enjoy it but can kind of starts off this whole look at like oh this drama oh this 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 and the films that you're going to be keeping your eye on without something like can being around kind of leaves like next next year's award season looking a bit weird that's the odd thing, isn't it? Because I'm not worried about the big tempole blockbuster films. You'll just delay it and people will watch it whenever. Yeah. It's, it's the smaller films that very much targeted their week of making a difference. That they can't all bottleneck us when we're open. There'll be no new product because who knows when we're open. It's they've, they've lost it now and they have to go straight to streaming or whatever and they don't even get all the spotlight film festivals allow and hype and critiques allow they're the ones i worry about the most to be honest so i mean these are dark days is there any good news out there andy well there is uh production on doctor strange is still set to start filming in june really yeah marvel have actually announced within the past 24 hours that they're still on target to hopefully be able to get the production started in june 
with everything getting shut down, it is rather bizarre that they're so confident on this. Apparently, like a lot of the pre-production and the tweaking of script and like everything else is going on with people in isolation. So they're all working together over to internet like we are today. And they're still hoping that the lockdowns will stop in time for them to start filming. I'm not holding my breath on it, but they're, they're also like confident that Eternals is still going to hit November. No. Nah. Well, I, I mean, there's things like pre-production and pre-production and post-production, which can be done to a degree in isolation. Uh, and, you know, technology being what it is, there's that availability for people to sit around and, and still edit and still do um, do special effects or pre-visits and all that sort of thing. So, and, and as I think we said a few weeks ago, that there's still the opportunity to look at the script and work on the script. Such an army behind these films, though, isn't there? It's 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 got to delay things in ways I can't even imagine off the top of my head. And that and then Disney alone, you, they've suddenly got this like uh, backlog of Mulan and Black Widow and what everything's being delayed for the foreseeable future, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Anya Taylor Joy is favourite to play the role of Furiosa in the Mad Max spin-off prequel. And the character, which was played by Charlize Theron in Fury Road, is uh, due to have like a look to see what affected her in her early life in this post-apocalyptic landscape to make her the person that she was in that film. Interesting choice. I think she's great. I think she's a great actress. I would, would rather much, uh, much rather see Theron do something with that role and, and see that character again. Yes, yeah. she she was the magic about that. It wasn't the character itself? It was an interesting character. It was it was her portrayal of it that made it an interesting character. So I would rather see see her play that role again and see more of her in that environment. A female Mad Max, for want of a better term. Absolutely. I'd also like to see more Mad Max. I'd like to see something again done with that world. Um, you know, well, we've now got a new actor in the role replacing Mel Gibson. It would be nice to explore more Mad Max, and, and, and build up, dare I use the, the, the phrase, uh, a, a universe with these characters and, and, and a, see more of a bigger world. Couldn't agree more with that. Um, I, I, it's such an odd choice for me, because Furiosa, more than any character introduced to me in the last 10 years, it was more of a byproduct who played a, and circumstance and what was on paper. Like You can break down that character into a sentence, can't you? Like, yeah. So to recast it and all rest, I, I think you're missing why that character hit. At least it's George Miller himself who's behind the developments for the spin-off. He's actively de- developing it and has begun video chats with actresses who he wants to play the part. He's still eyeing a 2021 production start, but he's also commented that anyone who wants another Mad Max film, don't worry, this is just a spin-off, this is a side thing. He, what, he still has intentions to go back and continue Mad Max. Oh, wow. It's such a rich tapestry, and uh, it's such a, such an interesting world. Even though, to some extent, I do feel that we're living in it. <laughs> well, we, we will be soon. Or uh, I, I am legend. I don't know which. Do not get addicted to toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> Alejandro Inaritu is currently scouting locations and doing camera tests in Mexico City, ready for his next film. Clearly, they're not on a lockdown in Mexico. Not yet. And this is the director of Birdman, uh, The Revenant. He's been sighted at quite a few key places around Mexico with like cameras, doing tests, got some of the cast dressed in 1990s outfits and cardboard cutouts of politicians. Carlos Salinas de Gortari 
and Jose Lopez Portillo, which suggests that his next film is a political drama looking at these two presidents. Interesting. I also, he's, he's one of those filmmakers that you know he always brings his A game to, not always liked everything he's done. I'm, I know I'm in a minority when I, I like Birdman but didn't love it, but he's an interesting, an interesting filmmaker and well worth seeing. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, there's not a lot of details as to what his film's going to be about, so everything is just pure speculation now based around him actively going around and doing screen tests. This is expected to go into production pretty soon and due to come out next year. But at least it, at least we know that in this troubled times, there's still some movement going on within the cinema industry, still some movement behind the scenes in various ways. Another piece of news that um, you picked up on late for season two of The Mandalorian. Yes, indeed. I, I, I've still not got round to watching it yet, <laughs> despite the fact <laughs> I'm, I'm at home. How about that? <laughs> um, so there's been casting being done for season two, including one fan favourite character from the Clone Wars animated series, Ahsoka. To be played by the very fantastic and uh, one of my favourite screen actors, Rosera Dawson. I've been uh, watching Clone Wars very recently, uh, Disney Plus and all that, uh, because it's one of the great um, Star Wars things that I very much missed. She's very prominent in it, and it's my first introduction to the character. So it's, it's quite exciting to have this like side interwoven bit of lore into the Mandalorian. So it's this interesting thing that, that this the animated Star Wars universe and Mandalorian and and the movies are now all tying together in a, in a much stronger uh, synergy than it than than we actually imagined it would be when, especially when when Disney took over the franchise. Yeah, it it. it rem- I remember playing the uh, N64 game Shadow of the Empire and really digging the main character I was playing as, but then I never heard him referenced or accounted for, and he was always inside canon books and all this. I think you have to bring Marvel's proven that like, mainstream audiences dig all the interwoven mythologies and extended lore and stuff. You don't need to make it exclusive to back areas of WH Smiths and yeah all the rest so cute little things like this just quick one-off episodes and whatever but i think it's really cool have we all signed up to disney plus yeah yeah are we all on board oh yes i i started i i got it from day one and started really investing into it yesterday um so far impressed i noticed they started operating on a lower bandwidth really yeah i've not i've not really noticed much impact on it i think it's for just sort of those keen eyes I'd not picked up on that, to be fair. But yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying Disney+. Plus. Um, so, other news that we've got. Uh, there's a couple of Doctor Who-related news. 15 years ago, when Doctor Who returned to our screens after the 16-year hiatus, it was like he'd never left. It hit the ground running with its highly anticipated premiere episode, Rose. Doctor Who reinvented itself for a new generation of sci-fi lovers and kick-started a whole new era that's still going strong today. And in celebration of the 15th anniversary of the premiere of Rose, former showrunner Russell T. Davis, is sharing new Doctor Who material in a live watch event held on Twitter. Well, there's been a few of these. Um, there has been the showing of Rose. There's been the Day of the Doctor shown. Um, it's kind of interesting, uh, you know, in, in these dark times that we're seeing a lot of creators doing something interesting with the mediums that they work in. Um, if, you, if, you, uh, if you're a big comics fan, as I know uh, we are. The American writer Rick Remder has been showing some of his early early pitches that he's pitched for series that never happened uh, using, using it online. Uh, this with Doctor Who's been great. 
if you're into music, there are bands who are putting on or putting on performances online. There's still creativity out there and it's still reaching us. Uh, and, and and it's just great to see that that, that creators are finding different ways to, to get this medium over to us. Well, that's been all the most heartening things in these in this quarantine lockdown stage. It's 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 the weird skits from like Matt Lucas singing about baked potatoes, like he did in Shooting Stars in the nineties, and uh, the Shaun of the Dead sort of reprise um, that Simon Pegg and Nick Cross did. Um, creatives expressing themselves or reacting to it in their own ways um, to take our mind off it or to give us a smile. It's been really heartening. It makes you feel as though you're part of, every, we're all in this together now, doesn't it? And yeah. it, it, it's definitely that sense of, doesn't matter, rich or poor, a prime minister or uh, the Prince of Wales, we're all in this together. It, it's, it's, it's kind of, there's something quite heartening uh, about it. And, and in the UK last night at eight o'clock, we all did the applause for the NHS. Little little moments like that that make you forget about Twitter. The soundtrack for Matt Reeves' The Batman has got its composer attached. And I love this composer. Michael Giacchino, mm-hmm. who's um, set to join the likes of Danny Elfman, Hans Zimmer, Elliot Goldenthal, and more as the people who created iconic music for the Cape Crusader throughout the years. Um, he's set to do the soundtrack for The Batman whenever production starts up again, obviously. And he, apparently he's got free reign to do whatever he wants. There's no, like, you need to do this kind of inclusion. We wanted to nudge to this. It's, no, you come up with something. Well, to be fair, I, I, like, Tim Tim Burton and Danny Elfman and Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan are so interwoven, aren't they? they I, I don't think they ever need to have that conversation. So it's probably the only real case of someone telling someone to do your own thing. This, uh, oh, what did Batman Super? A Junkie XL remixing Hans Zimmer, wasn't it? That yeah. was probably a similar setup. But uh, it's so important. It's part, it's part of the tone and atmosphere, along with the cinematography and t- um, tone and all the rest, that's going to really dictate whether this Batman sinks or swim, really. It'd be nice to have a theme. And uh, I always go back when, I, when I'm talking about, about movie themes and iconic soundtracks. Star Wars, you always remember. Superman the movie you always remember. I, I And I do feel like you get this a lot with, with the Marvel movies. There's not much of an iconic theme that runs through it. The Avengers now has. I know there's bits in, in, in Spider-Man, his soundtrack to Spider-Man, which has come through, but it would be nice to have a great Batman iconic theme. And the last time for me was was Danny Elfman's theme, which is was was really prominent. And you, when you hear it, you see that Gotham City in your head and you see Michael Keaton's Batman. So I hope he comes up with a, with a great, great theme that ties it to this Batman. If he can come up with anything as iconic as when he tackled the Star, the Star Trek reboots, that theme yeah, that for great, me, yeah. that was a great, like, okay, there's little, I mean, there's little nods towards the old Star Trek within some of his scores, but that, dun, 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 it, that just makes my heart lift. Mm. It was a whole new era of Star Trek and he gave it a feeling and he gave it like a, a voice through the music. I love that soundtrack and I can't wait to see what he does with Batman. It's a great choice. Rounding off as as is becoming the norm now with um, sad news. Every every time that we record, there's someone else passed away who meant something to us. And uh, this time it's the Asterix writer, Albert Oderzo, who passed away at the age of 92. Um, were you guys ever big on the Asterix books? Not the um, books directly, but um, I, I always used to watch the cartoons and some of the um, 
films because uh, I was always quite taken with the idea of uh, quite anything that any show where someone acquired a superpower, I was super in. <laughs> so because obviously they had their magic potion and bash a few Romans, uh, I, yeah. I I loved Asterix, but most most of my personal exposure was a few films, a cartoon, and video games. So I grew up. I grew up watching the Asterix cartoon, which was a, an import from France, overdubbed into English. Uh, I've, I've not really seen the movies. There was a Gerard Depardieu film. But I know in France it was just a huge, iconic character, which kind of begs the question, really, because Italy uh, has Danger Diabolique and, and Europe it really embraces comics in a way that I don't think England ever has. Do we have a, a, a British iconic iconic character like, like Asterix? Not to the global recognition of all that but we, we used to have all the uh, Beano and Dandy uh, characters. Oh yeah, Dennis the Menace, of course. You know, but there's some dispute about Dennis the Menace isn't there with the American counterpart. Well yeah they, they've got that exact copy basically of Dennis the Menace which they call Dennis and he's a menace but even the image of like, you know, Dennis and Nasher is known universally I'd say. Aside from that I'd say that the, British, the most well known British comic book characters are people like Judge Dredd your more serious tones, like adventure ones. That's what the British comic industry kind of grew on. Um, it grew from all, like, all your Eagle, your 2000 ADs, and that range of characters is what we were known for. Well, our best talent was always plucked by Americans anyway to serve their properties, wasn't it? So not in much time. Yeah, and I think we embraced, haven't we? We embraced more the, the uh, American characters than, than really embraced our own superheroes. But yeah. it's always, I always find it quite odd that we've never gone back and look at the canon of work that we've got in England and had TV or movie spin-offs. I mean, even a character like, strange enough, Roy the Rovers was, was an iconic character for a long time and would have served perfectly with a, with a TV series. So, But we've never really done that in this country. We've got the... Uh... Debate. I, I'll get scoffed at for suggesting, but uh, I think the Doctor's a, a very British superhero, and uh, obviously, originally Robin Hood and all that. We they are there. We've just never put it on a comic panel, have we? No. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. So moving on, that's the end of the news. Um, if you want to join in, you want to talk to us, you want to throw anything our way, then you can reach us on Twitter. And Andy, our Twitter uh, address is. Film File UK. So, because cinemas are closed, uh, and we mentioned this last time, there's no films to review. But what we have done is we've we've decided we're going to take a deep dive on a famous movie. And after well, much wrangling with technology, Scott has finally got to see and uh, what we I think is a piece of iconography as far as filmmaking goes, and that is Highlander. Now, this has been a running joke with me and Scott for years. Because every time I mention Highlander, because I watch it at least once a year, and he'll always just look at me and go, I know you're still going to hate me, but I've still not watched it. For years this has gone on, that he's never going to watch it. So the fact that he's finally gotten around to it, that, that you, you just don't understand the warmth that's going through my soul at this point in time. I'm just hoping he doesn't break my heart now and say that he thought it was stunk. Well, <laughs> before you start, before you give it anything about it let's just um let's just do a quick review of what when the film came out and a little bit of a uh, a reminder of it because you were born different men will fear you try to drive you away i am conor mcleod 
So Highlander, so for those who don't know about Highlander and the Highlander franchise that, that came from it, Highlander came out in 1986. So basically, it's a fantasy action adventure. It was directed by Russell McKay, who comes straight out of music videos. And he directed a lot of the more iconic 80s music videos for bands like Duran Duran. He did Wild Boys. Well, you know, you name it. Russell Mackay probably did it in that that particular period. He'd made one previous film, which was a film called Razorback, which is well worth checking out. And then along comes this. And it chronicles the climax of an age-old battle amongst immortal warriors. Uh, and it's de- depicted through interwoven past and present day storylines with this bill to be only one. It starred Christopher Lambert as the eponymous Highlander, Sean Connery, who was an Egyptian who spoke with a great Scottish accent, Clancy Brown as one of the best screen villains we've ever seen, and Roxanne Hart. I was the right age when this film came out that it just captured my attention. This whole story of like Connor McLeod from the Clan McLeod, the time of the gathering coming up and the Kurgan hunting him down. And for some reason, all the immortals have to kill each other so there can be only one. Don't know why. We don't understand the law of it, but you just accept it. And um, all that, just all the flashbacks to his earlier life of like discovering he's immortal, his training, um, his loves, and his life through the ages, juxtaposed against the modern day setting. Now, it was a very, very stylish film, and it, and of course, it did get that that at the time that wasn't a critique. I think looking back on it, but it looks like a music video. It's it's incredibly stylized. Every shot is a work of art to a degree. It's therefore dated quite a quite a lot because of the look for it uh, and the style of it. And we we've we've not mentioned that it had a great soundtrack by Queen as yeah. well, uh, with a couple of songs which are iconic in their own league as, as Queen songs, but which you don't often think that they came from from Highlander. I've got a quite a personal connection to this film, which we'll we'll get on to. It's a film that didn't do very well initially on it on its run, and it and it failed. Uh, we got a very different cut in the UK. Than the Americans got, which is came out a few years later on DVD as I think it was called the Ultimate Cut, which was basically the European cut. So a couple of the scenes that played out the the, the sh- there's one particular scene where um, Connor McLeod, played by Christopher Lambert, tackles some Nazis, which wasn't in the American version. So there was there was different cuts all over the place. It did better in Europe than it did in the States, but even then it built up a cult following and created several sequels, a TV series, an animated series. Uh, there was a comic book run. So it, it really played its part of being a bit of a, of, a, of a bit of a cultural icon. So now, Scott, we'll ask you, what did you think to Highlander? Well, as it started, and uh, obviously the Queen soundtrack's bellowing, and uh, I'm seeing uh, Michael Hayes and the Fabulous Freebirds uh, enter a wrestling <laughs> ring to a very uh, obvious 80s uh, setup and get-up. Uh, I thought... Oh no, I'm gonna love this, aren't I? Um, and and then it's it's very um, odd because it's 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 tonally and uh, very much like um, it's very schizophrenic, really, and and patchy and jumps about and and these, but within that within there, there's there's 
interesting creative decisions. Like there's lots of interesting transitions and shot setups and stuff that, like I, I think you put it best, it, it makes it a bit music videoy and yes. undeniably eighties. Yeah, it, it's almost like a eighties artifact screaming its decade at you with, with every artistic decision. Which, inter- interestingly enough, when you see it, when when I saw it when it first came out. It, that was very much the style because music video was was so prominent and and it was feeding into everything at that point. It was feeding into, uh, of course, MTV was huge and what what MTV is today is uncomparable to what it was back back in nineteen eighty six. TV programs like Miami Vice were starting to take on that particular look. So it was a, a look that started to permeate across um, all mediums. You know, TV commercials and music videos were so so tied close together and i think this was the real f- first film that had that that ethos to it that looked like every shot was designed and could be cut straight into a music video of course now that feels incredibly dated and and deservedly so it was it was uh, a time capsule for for that period of filmmaking but i think it highlander really was the first film that adopted that that music video uh, mise-en-scene and and style and, and it runs all the way across it to sometimes at uh, uh, where the plot isn't as strong as the visuals. Uh, yeah. Plot-wise, it's all over the place. There's a lot of things that don't make sense. Continuity errors everywhere in the film. But I have so much fun watching it, despite the flaws of it. On some of my regular rewatches of it, I've sat with mates who enjoy it as well, and we'll sit and pick holes with the whole film whilst loving what we're seeing. Connery is chewing up the scenery whenever he steps out into like frame. Lambert is struggling to sound like he even knows English, let alone being from Scotland. And apparently he needed to phonetically learn his lines because he couldn't actually speak English when they were filming. And uh, Clancy Brown is just dominating every, every second that he's appearing with a completely over-the-top performance. It's such a pantomime kind of performance, but it just keeps me going. It just keeps me enjoying it and having fun. And you, you talk about Connery. Uh, at that point, Connery wasn't uh, was was a star that had that had waned to some yeah, degree. It, was, it, was it wasn't until Untouchables that he came back in a big way. He was doing sort of smaller films. They did Gawain and the Green Knight, which was a much smaller film than what it, what we were used to with Connery. He wasn't the big star that it, that he then became again, thanks to the Untouchables. So it it was quite a coup getting someone like Sean Connery into that film because the budget was was okay but it wasn't it wasn't a massive budget it's just odd because it's it's got such operatic themes yet it's got like a proper soap opera acting class <laughs> and yet clancy brown's chewing all the scenery so much it's 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 good <laughs> but yet every five minutes i go from loving it to guffawing to <laughs> to a knowing smile and then it just it just Kept spinning me round and round. Over, I can, I can certainly see why it's below. I mean, you mentioned earlier about the style of it, the like the camera work and like the way that things are shot. And you also mentioned the wrestling scene, which I knew that that would grab your attention. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the wrestling scene itself has one of my favourite shots ever put to film, which is the camera tracking around the stadium before closing in on Connor, yeah. who sat in deep contemplation whilst everyone around him is enthused by the wrestling. I think that that every time that I watch it, that just sends shivers down my spine. It's such a perfectly mapped out shot and it just really just draws you into him. Absolutely brilliant. I think one of the things with it, everybody's working over the top on their game on it. Everybody gives 
120%. And that's including in a lot of the performances. Uh, and Russell Mackay had all these these toys at his disposal, which weren't used in films. The, the effect in the Madison Square Garden scene with the wrestling was a, a camera that was used for, for sports and never really used in movies. Yeah. So everybody everybody was trying to do something on it that was was to try and set set a standard, almost with the fact that, hey, we'll make this, we might not ever make another film again, but let's throw everything at this. And there's that sense of, of throwing everything at this. There's, there's one classic scene, and I know this, and I'll, I'll explain my relationship to the film later, but um, there's a shot where the camera moves up through a, I think it's through a fish tank and and then we're on the lake. It's yeah. one of the, the many transition scenes. At the time, they didn't have the technology to do that. It was almost done by hand, so much so that Martin Scorsese called uh, Russell McKay and, and asked him how he did it because he thought that transition was so good. And there's lots, there's lots, just so much imagination at work in it. Sometimes uh, the, the, to the extent that the, the plot misses out, and you're right, Andy, it is a little bit all over the place. No one can really explain what the prize was because I don't think even the people involved in making the film knew what the prize was. And they painted themselves into a corner, which is why we got we got the sequels, which were all over the place and probably probably worth avoiding if you've not seen them, Scott, and, and don't don't go any further. <laughs> but the prize basically painted painted them into a corner. But there's so much so much technical imagination at work on it that that everybody gave their all into this film. Absolutely, and and, and that that's definitely what I picked up on it because it because the plot is threadbare and it's it's a bit all over the place, pick a lane at times. But within each scene, I'm I'm seeing such an earnest attempt and such weird sort of ingenuity at times that I couldn't help but smile and enjoy it, and then. Obviously, there'd be a line or an, a delivery that would make me guffaw slightly, but it, it, it very much seems like a time capsule film that I imagine if you grew up with, you adore it. I certainly enjoyed it. I I, I would hesitate to recommend it to people now because I do think it's, if dated the unpolite way of saying it, I think very much a time capsule is the polite way of saying it. Well, it's been mooted for a good few years now for a reboot of the franchise. How would you would would you say that that's the kind of story that could be brought to a modern life? Oh yeah, I I, I think the basic framework of a really great plot and film there isn't there. But I think Highlander it's so tied to the eighties, isn't it? And the creativity of that would you would you want to see a quite somber modern take? I think that's the route it would probably go. I don't think you would get the the sort of operatic audacity of it. And that audacity, of course, as, as I've said, is, runs into the soundtrack by Queen. Every, everything is, is, is turned up to number 11. And I don't think we would get that kind of movie now. We'd get a much more realistic, uh, gritty, uh, streety version of it as opposed to the Highlander that we've got. But this, the same thing for any any remake. If it if it brings something new to a story, brings in a new audience and say something different, rather than just going through uh, a pointless exercise of exploring a a title that people are familiar with, then it it stands and falls really by its its own nature of whether it's or not it's a good film. And if it can make a good film with Highlander, I think there's a thousand great stories that can still be told around that idea. That even the the original film didn't quite get right yeah i agree with that so lee um you seem to have a good bit of inside information throughout this chat 
tell us how you've come across this. Well, uh, Russell Mackay, I worked for for a little while. Well, I, 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 I tell a lie. I worked for Russell's manager, a guy called Jerry Laffey, back in the day. Uh, Jerry uh, was involved in helping build Russell's career up from from the from the get get go, uh, and Jerry ended up becoming my manager when I moved into music videos at one point. So. I once had the had the deep joy of sat with Jerry watching Highlander as he basically gave me the inside knowledge of of this particular film, and so I I, I know an awful lot about it. I have actually in my time worn the raincoat that Christopher <laughs> Lambert wore, and it is very very cool. You do actually there's a cut mark on on the shoulder where during one of the the fighting scenes the the coat got cut. Um, so I've I've got a real fondness for the film, and but I agree with everything that you say. It is a little bit all, all over the place, but it's a film a bit like you, Andy. I absolutely adore. I'm, I'm trying to work out whether that was a compliment or an offhanded insult. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know if I made it clear, but uh, I I really enjoyed it. I think it's a hard sell for some people, unfortunately. So I would I would temper my recommendations, but it's definitely a recommendation. I just knew that because it opened with a wrestling scene. That that's it. You're bought in straight away. Well, I, so, I, I love films. That's like. why I've been recommending it to you for ages. <laughs> Any sort of B movie esque but earnest attempt that's just riddled with things to smile at. I, but it's but it's a recommend, but know your audience. Yeah, exactly. At the heart of it, it's a it's a good story. To told uh, the best they could so it's it's the the, the bits that are funny are, are the, some of the acting and just the time period of lol 80s isn't it it's, it's nothing like bad so we'll have another deep dive into a film we'll decide that over the next couple of weeks if you want to suggest something get in touch with it on twitter so at this part of the program as we draw to a close i go around all of us and say uh what's your neat thing what have you been watching doing playing have you had a chance to do anything while you've been in isolation andy you had a challenge if i remember correctly i did last week you looked through my um embarrassing list of oscar nominated films that i've still not got around to watching and picked out one for the stylistic choice and it's interesting to couple this alongside highlander because highlander is very much a film of like the 80s the film that you gave me is very much a film of the 60s, and it was the Steve McQueen starring Thomas Crown Affair. I've got to ask you, did you like it? Well, I was introduced to Thomas Crown Affair through Pierce Brosnan's 90s remake, and I really loved that one. And I think that's probably one of the things that held me off watching the original, because I was worried that it wouldn't live up to it, or it'd feel wrong. And I absolutely loved it. Fantastic. It is definitely a film of its time. The music, the style, the split-screen mosaics of like images around the screen, firmly rooting it to that period. But it stands up so well today, thanks to the cast, who are so enticing throughout it. Uh, Faye Dunaway and Steve McQueen work so well together with Airplane playing the investigator, who's linking Steve McQueen's bored millionaire as a mastermind behind a, behind a major bank robbery. It's one of those films that you watch it and you can tell straight away the era that it's set in. And yes, it is dated, but it, it holds up so well. It's, it's interesting that you mention... Um... Uh, the remake, and we were talking talk about Highland as a remake. This is one of those remakes that just worked really, really well, that took the initial idea, brought it up to date, did something fresh with it, as all good remakes did. I absolutely love uh, Thomas Crown Affair. I think, uh, you're right, it's a time capsule. I don't think Steve McQueen was ever better. I think he was just so cool in it. Went against him 
uh, type to a degree of that kind of actor that he was. He was a much more streety kind of actor. So he he, he plays the the billionaire so well. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love this uh, love this film. I've got another challenge for you for a Go film on, that you you've not seen. Uh, again, another favorite of mine. It's John Carpenter's Starman, starring Jeff Bridges. I challenge Ooh. you to watch that film. Scott, what have you got for us? Um, I'm just watching loads on Disney Plus. So um, I've I've watched the first Star Wars movie, uh, the the Phantom Menace, I think it's called, and I've fallen in love with some the, of the, the characters. There's, there's been there's been something called the Phantom Menace. Yeah, he's got some great characters. He's Jar Jar, Water, Boss <laughs> Nat, and I'm really looking forward to where they go with these guys. Uh, so I'll be watching the second one later. It might get popular. It might be one of those that deserves to have a franchise built around. I really like know. it. It's taught me a lot about um, trade, how it interacts with politics on a cosmic level. You know what? What is an actual neat thing to do with Disney Plus, and this is something that, without subscribing to it, I went and delved. It's not just the content. I mean, like we've got old shows like the '90s X Men and Spider-Man animated series. Yeah. Gargoyles is on there. Wow. Yeah. But it's the extras. Yeah. Loads of the films, they have all the extras that you'd get on the DVD or Blu-ray are tagged in alongside it, including commentaries on a few of them. Which oh, that's a neat I, idea. I was completely amazed by it. I've, so I, I, on a serious note, what have you been delving into on Disney Plus? I've watched almost every short film that exists on there. Uh, <laughs> both Pixar, Disney, and, and even a lot of the old Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Goofy shorts. <laughs> um, just, just I don't know why. Just, just fascinated and compelled. Um, and then Inside Out. Um, genuinely watched the Phantom Menace to start a Star Wars rewatch. And uh, you do know it's only been up for four days. I know. I, I, I just I've only watched one movie so far. I've I've watched Iron Man, Iron Man Two, and Thor so far. I'm doing this self isolation wrong. I really am. <laughs> I've not even thought about uh, the mar- marveling it yet. I, I, I thought focus on Star Wars and some side things, but uh, it's 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 fun. I mean, I'm enjoying it. And Simpsons as well. I've been putting the odd Simpson classic Simpsons episode on. I'll be jumping into the Mandalorian this weekend. Oh, good, good, good. I'm looking forward to hearing your opinions on that because uh, we've been raving about it for, for quite a while. It's my favourite. New, new uh, Disney-era Star Wars thing. And mine, I'm going to go back to the coronavirus. I'm sorry, I didn't think I would do this. But there's been an initiative uh, where I live. I don't know if it's a national initiative, uh, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's happening locally to me. And it's putting in a sticker on, or a sign in your, your front window, which is either red or green. And basically, if you, you're showing the green side, it basically means that you're okay, everything's fine, uh, you don't need anything. If you flip it over and you go to the red side, it means that you might need help from a neighbour. And it's been a really, really cool idea that seemed to have caught on where I live. I don't know if it's running nationally. Uh, I don't know if it's just an initiative from from around here, but I think it's a fantastic way of just checking in uh, on the folks around you and making sure that everybody's okay. That's a right neat idea. That's really sweet. I like that. There's things like that which uh, show like the ways that communities are coming together through this. And, you know, you see all the media reports of all the people who are ignoring the warnings and mass gatherings and things. But there's a lot of good positivity coming from community spirit around this whole thing. People going to fetch shopping for neighbours um, who are like housebound, all that kind of aspect. Yeah. And I don't think that's getting getting enough attention, to be perfectly honest. It's bringing a caring side to the to the world. Absolutely. If, if there's any positive whatsoever to be attained by this, it's really restored my faith in humanity 
people are paying attention to things I've always found important. And it's showing up some companies and practices that I think people ignored for long periods of time. And on that note, I guess it's up to us to say stay safe. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another programme. Hope you've enjoyed the film file. And in those immortal words, there can be only one.